Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Church, we have another opportunity to hear from a guest speaker. Um, Rick Duncan is here. He's a missionary that we've supported in the past, and and he's also a pastor, and he's going to tell you a bit about his, uh, his work in the Lord and his ministry, and I'm going to hand it off to him. I'll probably just, at the very end, right before the benediction, tell you a little bit more, but just briefly, I was youth pastor in San Clemente Press, 17 years. 85, 17 years in Brazil as a missionary training, pastors and missionaries, then 14 years, uh, senior pastor Carmel Press up north before I sort of retired, came down here for near grandkids, and now I sort of help with church planting in uh, this area with ECO. And I I think I've preached here two or three times, but the last time was probably 20 years ago. (laughs) I remember coming here for a meeting with your session, I saw, where'd that building come from? I didn't remember that one, so. In the second half of the 1800s, actually during most of the 1800s, the use and addiction to opium uh, grew in China. And the British Empire, which, upon which the sun never set, it needed silver to be able to support its navy and its empire. And so it imported opium, primarily from India, over to China. It would then sell it to the Chinese population through drug lord middlemen who would pay in silver. And this was really important for the British Empire, but more and more of the Chinese people were using and abusing opium. So the Chinese government became upset and told the the British to stop, and so much so that war broke out in 1840 and again in 1857. And both times, we call this gunboat policy, the British won just by shelling Chinese cities and so forth, and the Chinese were forced into trade agreements that were lucrative for the British and for the Chinese middlemen drug lords. Now this is the same time period in which Hudson Taylor, one of the most famous missionaries in the history of the world, became a missionary to China. Uh, He served there for 51 years, and he was different than all the other European missionaries. Because the other European missionaries, they came, they dressed like Europeans. I brought my coat, I didn't put it on. And they, um, they served in the coastal cities. And sometimes they sort of learned Chinese. Hudson Taylor and the missionaries he eventually recruited, they dressed like the Chinese, they ate like the Chinese. They went to the interior of China, so it's called in, uh, China Inland Mission. And, and he spoke fluently in Chinese, I think both Mandarin and Cantonese. And God just blessed it, and thousands of people came to Jesus. But because he left the safety of England and become a missionary, Hudson Taylor went through quite a bit. And first of all, they're missionaries, they lived by faith. And so they would often come to the very end of their resources, not knowing where their next meal is coming from, and they'd be praying, and a letter would come that had been sent months earlier from England with the resources they needed so they could eat again. But while they were not knowing where their next meal was coming from, Chinese drug lords, supported by the British government, 
We're just living like kings. Eight, because he was a missionary and not in the safety of England, eight of Hudson Taylor's 13 children died. His first wife, Maria, died of cholera. He nearly died twice in typhoons. He fell once on a riverboat and was paralyzed for some time. Didn't know if he'd ever get better. He did. And then during the Boxer Rebellion of 1900, in which many Chinese, it was a violent rebellion where the, where the Chinese were trying to violently expel all foreigners from the country, 58 of Hudson Taylor's missionaries and 21 of their children were murdered. While the drug lords prospered, Hudson Taylor went through all of this. How did all this injustice, evil, and violence impact Hudson Taylor and his faith? How, how would you respond? How do you respond now? Have you ever just tried to be really, really good and seen people that are, don't even care about being good get in the head? Now, I'm going to tell you the rest of Hudson Taylor's story later, but I first want us to look at Psalm 73, in which the author Asaph, he describes his own deep, difficult bitterness as he watched wicked men prosper about 3,000 years ago. About 3,000 years ago. Let's, let me read to you. Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They are not in trouble as other men are. They are not stricken like other men. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, the people turn and praise them and find no fault in them. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and chastened every morning. You ever felt that way? In the ancient world in which Asaph lived about 3,000 years ago, People suffered a lot. And, you know, all of us, we have things that are painful that we suffer. And it's our pain, so it feels like a lot. But objectively speaking, people in the ancient world, they, come on, they suffered more. By examining human remains of ancient cemeteries in Italy, for instance, pathologists have told us that back when the average lifespan was about 30 or 33, 35, um, anyone who lived over past 30 in those ancient cemeteries as they examined the bones and stuff, either they had parasites or they had a bone that had broken that had not uh, healed well or some other ailment that probably they weren't very comfortable. They were struggling with just the pain of life from 30 on. In addition, they had seen plagues, not like COVID, but where people, lots of people died and everyone fled the cities. They'd seen famines because about... About every 10 years or less, there'd just be a drought, and people would, would starve to death. Uh, half 
of all children in the ancient world, half died before they reached age 10. Think of your children. Now, sons who lived longer were often conscripted into the king's, family, in the king's army. Asaph, he lived during King David. King David had lots of wars, so lots of young men died. And always remember that very different than our society today, always, up until the middle of the Industrial Revolution, more than 80% of the population lived on farms, scratching out a living from the dirt without the equipment to have or the pesticides or the, the high-producing seeds or the type of irrigation that we have. Sometimes with droughts, having to sell themselves or their children to slavery just to survive. In addition, virtually every kingdom and civilization in the ancient world was highly corrupt. I've lived in a pretty corrupt country, Brazil, for 17 years. Corruption puts evil people in charge. They use bribes, they use violence, they use the threat of violence. So most people... In the ancient world, they would have identified with the first half of this psalm. And just, why are the wicked prospering? I'm trying to do the right thing. Do you? Does that just <clears throat> rankle in your soul? You know, do, you, do you know people who, who lie and cheat and they get ahead? People who disobey God's word about sexual norms and yet they, they seem fine? Uh, we've all watched... We've either suffered ourselves or watched other people suffer. Uh, some of the people in this room, statistically speaking, were either emotionally or physically or sexually abused. Many of us were bullied as children, and the bullies always seemed to get away with it, didn't they? Psalm 73 is describing feeling frustrated and angry because life is not fair. And good people get slammed while bad people get ahead. I felt that way. You felt that way? You, you refused to fudge at work and so somebody else got promoted? Or you gave 10% to God's work and then lost your job? Or somebody broke up with you because you wouldn't have sex before marriage and then they found somebody who would and now you're alone? You raised your kids well. You sacrificed for them. And as adults, they've just made a series of bad choices that have messed up their lives and yours. Or you tried to do the right thing your whole life and now you're older and so you or someone you love suffering from cancer or dementia and you know people who just were jerks the whole time and they've retired early and they're traveling the world. Okay, I was thinking of somebody. Um, or maybe, maybe, maybe your life's fine for the time being right now, but you just... You can't understand how God would allow things like the war in Ukraine to happen, and you're just, you're just angry. But I want to assure you, God is angrier than you are. God loves you, your children, the people in Ukraine, much more than you do. And any time they are being treated unjustly, he's angry about it, and he's got a plan, and it's working, and he's working on it. But in the meantime, what is going on? Well, the psalmist is going to address part of that question in the next section. Not part of it, but a really important part. So I want to walk us through it. The next verse, 15, he says, after he said, oh, I'm just getting clobbered, it's not, he's really saying, it's not worth being good. And then he says, if I had said, I will speak thus, like he's just spoken, I would have been untrue to the generation of thy children. He's realizing that his bitterness 
and his perspective, if he were communicated at that point, it had the high potential of leading others astray. And we see that now just in spades throughout our culture. We have famous people who are bitter and upset about the unfairness of life and leading many astray. For example, famous atheist Richard Dawkins probably means well, but says things, writes things like this. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. One of the fastest growing sectors of belief of worldview in our country is atheism or agnosticism, which often turns out to be pretty much the same thing. Tim Keller, one of my favorite preachers in his book, Making Sense of God, writes, Western societies are perhaps the worst societies in the history of the world at preparing people for suffering and death. Now, the psalmist is, is trying to understand the unfairness of life, and, and we're going to keep walking through this, and now he's kind of beginning to turn a corner, starting in verse 16, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. He's in God's presence. Then I perceived their end. Truly, thou dost set them in slippery places. Thou dost make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrorists, they are like by terrors, they are like a dream when one awakes. On awaking, you despise their phantoms. Now, although Asaph has struggled in this first half of Psalm 73, he, he, he does realize that wicked people often fall suddenly and are gone. Their, their, their greed, their lust, their dishonesty destroys them. And we've seen this happen. Drug dealers die uh, philanderers end up alone, uh, tax evaders go to prison. It doesn't always happen, but sometimes. And Asaph realizes that evil people who seem to be getting away with it, from God's point of view, are never actually going to get away with anything in the long run. And God makes that clear over and over in the scriptures. And at the very end of this psalm, we won't go into it, but Asaph says that all who are far from God will perish. If they don't have a right relationship with God, they, they, they will perish. But once Asaph realizes this and turns the corner, I want us to look at how his thoughts develop. Now, he's not going to resolve all of our confusion. He's not going to answer all of our questions. There's a lot of mystery in suffering, especially when you're in the middle of it and you're just, you know, you're just trying to get through it. But he is going to give us some wonderful, helpful insights. And I will tell you that for my money, he is now going to pen some of the most beautiful and rich phrases that were ever written by anyone anywhere on the planet verse 21 when my soul was embittered when i was pricked in heart i was brutish and ignorant i was like i was like a beast toward you like a beast towards you now i i've recently had the opportunity to spend time with all seven of my grandchildren five live nearby two over in new york and i have seen them melt down and start wailing unconsolably in various situations about something unfair. Um, you see these, I brought show and tell. These are, 
plastic fake treasures for the game Treasure, uh, Forbidden Island. And in the game Forbidden Island, uh, my wife particularly likes this because it's not a competition between the players. You're working together to get the treasures and get off the island before it sinks. And so you're working together. So it's not like somebody wins and somebody loses. Um, so we're playing the other day, and, one of the, and, we, and we, we, we rescue one of the treasures, and one of the kids is holding it, and the other one starts just melting down and wailing inconsolably. He, he, he got to hold the treasure last time. Now, I, I often forget, you know, we raised our kids a long time ago, and I often forget that so much of childhood is just learning to manage your emotions. And I am just so glad that we adults never struggle with <laughs> feeling like just disagreeing with how God is running our life or the way things are happening to feel bitter because God is not allowing us to temporarily hold the treasure. Tesla. You see, we fail to see the big picture. All that God is doing, and, and we become brutish toward God just because we don't get to temporarily hold the treasure. When we're suffering or observing someone that we love suffer, or we're seeing a really bad person prosper, um, sometimes we doubt God's goodness. Sometimes we, we, we forget just how much He suffered so that He could forgive us and adopt us into his family and make us co-heirs with Christ of all the treasure that's coming. And I forget how patient he is with me. And so we become brutish toward God who's proven his love for us over and over. Verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You see, even... If, if you've turned your life over to Jesus, then even when we're being ignorant and brutish toward God, he still holds on to our right hand. He holds on tightly to your hand. Even in your worst moments, he holds on. Now, as a grandpa, one of the things I love to do is cross the streets with one of my grandchildren. And when we get to the street, you all know the drill, right? Okay, hold hands. All right, what's next? Look both ways. Okay, and here we go. And if I, I think of my, my four-year-old Janelle, and I think, you know, we're walking across the... And, you know, she might say, she might say no, I'm going to go different. No, uh-uh, I got her hand. She might fall, I got her hand. She might, doesn't matter, I'm bigger, I'm more powerful, I am determined to get her safely to the other side, and I will, and she will not escape me. <laughs> Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We all struggle. We have times when we disagree with how God's letting our life go. We don't get it, we don't understand. But even when we're doubting God's goodness, He says, I am continually with you, you hold my right hand. First part of verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. And we could go into this much more, but it's when Asaph goes into the sanctuary, into God's presence, that he, he starts to turn around and, and recognize things. And, and God guides you with his counsel and me with his counsel. He gives us, this, you know, he gives us the scriptures. 
He gives us each other to speak into each other's life. He gives us the Holy Spirit to nudge us and even speak clearly to us at times. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. The Old Testament is not full of references to heaven and glory like the New Testament is, but this is one passage where God clearly says we will live forever in God's presence experiencing his glory. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to eventually die. Life is unfair. Life is painful. But the Apostle Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. You know, Asaph, he didn't have all the information that you have. He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't know that this amazing transcendent God was going to take on human form, live among us as Jesus and live the perfect life we all fail to live, die the death we deserve so that we could be forgiven and adopted and co-heirs of everything. But he does know that he will be with God in God's glory. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He does not literally mean that there is nothing on earth that he wants. He still wants justice. He still wants his children to live. He still wants people to flourish and no one to starve to death or die of the plague. But he's using a hyperbole, exaggerating, overstating to make it crystal clear that what he wants most is a relationship with God. We sang that a little earlier. You're, you're all I want, we sang. This is the rallying cry. This is the slogan, the theme for those who live primarily for God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, I, 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 I know many of you are Presbyterians, but would you repeat after me? <laughs> just, just repeat it nice and loud. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. And my portion forever. I, I encourage you to memorize that this week and every day. Repeat it and just revel in it. You know, use your smartphone. Have a, have a reminder there, but don't lose it. What is the, the greatest treasure that exists. What do, what do you value more? Do you value your loved ones or your money? Your loved ones or your job? Your loved ones or your house or your car? Your loved ones or your success? I think most of us in this room would think that we would, we would sacrifice any of those things for our loved ones. That's a, we, we think we probably would. You realize Jesus actually did sacrifice everything for his loved ones, for you. When we get to heaven, we are going to see God face to face and we will be overwhelmed by his glory. It will just emanate the, his goodness and his beauty and his power and his love. And we will just be overwhelmed and we will immediately realize that having a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is worth far more than anything else that God himself is the greatest, most valuable treasure by far. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. God himself is that treasure. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, he, he, he knew this. Uh, while the drug lords prosper, eight of his 13 children died. He lost his first wife. He nearly died twice. He was paralyzed for some time. And then during the Boxer Rebellion, 58 of his adult missionaries and 21 of their children were murdered. But when the Chinese government, after the thing, came and offered compensation for the property and the, the, the lives, Hudson Taylor refused and earned more respect, even more respect for Jesus. He forgave him. When asked how he dealt with all the pressure he was under as a missionary, he said, it does not matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer his heart. Although it must have been hard to see drug lords prosper, suffering developed character in Hudson Taylor. It also gave him a greater experience of God's love. Now later, the communists would expel the Western missionaries from China, severely persecute the Christians. They would be in camps for some time. But when they came out, God used them and is still using them for one of the greatest movements of Christianity in the history of the world. And today, most experts would say that over 100 million Chinese are Christians, more than 7% of the population. It's amazing. Partly, that's Hudson Taylor's legacy. What's a gold digger? What's a trophy wife? A gold digger marries someone for their money, not for love. A trophy wife is married for her beauty, not for love. What's the greatest commandment, according to Jesus? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. You see, God woos and wins our hearts. He, he, he usually starts out by helping us with some area of perceived need in ourselves. We, we feel the need for forgiveness. We feel the need for victory over an addiction. We, we feel the need for purpose and, and meaning. One, one of any number of things. And that's, he starts there and we praise him and we thank him. But you know, just like you who are created in his image. He wants to be loved for who he is, not just for what he's done for you. See, when life is painful and unfair, we finally find out whether or not we are willing to love God and serve him for himself or whether or not, actually, that depends on whether or not he'll serve us. For much of my life, uh, I've made it way too much about me. The older I get, I realize, you know, I just have been so worried about, you know, even in ministry about, you know, your, the performance, the results, or my own changing. And, so, and that's not all bad. But it has too often kept me from focusing on the main thing. Loving God with all my heart for who he is. See, he plans to show you his glory, his beauty, his power, his love for you. His goodness. You'll be overwhelmed. You'll love him for who he is. I just urge you, don't wait. Start now. Every day, spend some time in awe of God's power and beauty and goodness and love for you. 
And if you do, you will bring tremendous joy to his heart. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For though those who are far from you shall perish, you put an end to those who are false to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you overwhelm us with your glory that we would daily love you, Heavenly Father, for whom you are, for who you are. And Jesus, that you showing us so much about who you are would just enthrall us with your beauty, with the joy that we get to have the greatest treasure forever. Keep us from clinging to those temporary treasures that we might cling to you for who you are, not just for what you do for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons or to subscribe or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.